35 years ago, Jack Nicklaus made one of the most improbable comebacks in golf history, winning the 1986 Masters at age 46. On the call that day for Jack's birdie putt at 17 was one of the most beloved broadcasters in Dallas history, the great Vern Lundquist. All together now, maybe, yes, sir. Vern joins us to talk about that iconic moment. He's going to tell us what he thinks the absence of Tiger Woods means to this year's Masters. He tells so many stories from being in the best little whorehouse in Texas and Happy Gilmore to, to uh, stories about the day that Dale Hansen got hired at Channel 8. You're not going to want to miss story after story from Vern, including his reflections on the career of Roy Williams, recently retired from North Carolina as head basketball coach. But first, we're talking wingers, fly halves, knock-ons, ankle taps, counter-rucking, and all things rugby with George Killebrew, the commissioner of Major League Rugby, which, of course, like so many things, is based in Dallas. And we'll catch up with Mavericks in arena hype man and freshly minted Texas Radio Hall of Famer Chris Arnold. He has some great advice for all of those wanting getting to sport, getting into sports. And hint, make yourself invaluable. And we'll hear what Chris has been up to lately and what he's been downloading. So let's drop the needle and let's go. Welcome to the Mike Drop Podcast. Kevin Sullivan here, joined by my co-host, Monica Paul, the Executive Director of the Dallas Sports Commission. And our next level intern, Marcus Carr, who plays a starring role this week in the What Are We Downloading segment. Monica, big congrats to all the teams from Texas who, who uh, gave such a great showing in the men's and women's NCAA uh, tournaments the last few weeks. It was not that long ago, 2013, there were no teams from Texas in the men's tournament. And now you've got Baylor and Houston squaring off in the national Semis, and while none of the women's teams from Texas made it made it through, it wasn't for lack of effort. Uh, with a strong showing from Baylor, almost knocking off UConn in the Elite Eight, so lots to be proud of uh, in uh, in in uh, Texas hoops this month. What uh, what are you? Uh, you know, I remember there has been talk over the years of combining the men's and women's March Madness tournaments into one location, uh, which we're seeing this year. You actually presented this idea a number of years ago on behalf of the Sports Commission. What, what do you make of that today, and could it be a reality? Yes, Sully, I think this topic is going to possibly come up back up. I know uh, we're in line to obviously bid again for a men's Final Four in the future, and we're hosting a women's in 2023. But uh, I think our bid, you'll see that we think it's possible, and we think it's something that the NCAA should uh, take a look at, especially during, uh, considering the circumstances uh, in terms of equity that are going on from a men's and women's championships. It, it, we have two great venues here in AT&T Stadium and American Airlines Center to be able to host host an event. We have plenty of uh, training facilities and plenty of uh, hotels and, and accommodations and, you know, higher-end uh, uh, facilities to be able to host. Uh, I think it allows the local organizing committee in the city and the NCAA to, to – um, provide a similar experience uh, and kind of be on all on the same page uh, rather than working in two different cities. I'm not sure. Uh, I think there's other cities throughout the country that could uh, do the same thing. Um, I, and I think uh, it'd be a great opportunity to really showcase um, um, basketball. So 
uh, we're definitely going to be be pushing hard for that, and uh, hopefully 2027 and beyond. I think are our next uh, opportunities there. Yeah, the women should definitely be elevated to the same status, you know, in treatment across the board as the as the men's bracket is. And you would think the fan, fans would love it, the media would love it. There'd probably be increased coverage on the women's side because everybody was in one place. And as you said, we have the facilities in Dallas to to pull it off. So I hope that. Hope that comes up again, but don't you think the fans would love it too, as well as just you know having the having the venues for it? Yeah, I think the fans would really enjoy it. I think there's a different demographic and different fan set, so it would allow us to bring additional people into into the city, uh, really roll out the red carpet and provide uh, an experience uh, throughout our region in downtown Dallas, and uh, Arlington area um, that you know they could stay a little bit longer and uh kind of cross over and uh, those that attend the men can attend the women and, and vice versa so i think a great opportunity uh for fans yeah and once again the dallas sports commission uh, ahead of its time with a with a great idea a sad note we, we wanted to bring up here on the mic drop this week you know you know we all saw that uh, larry mcmurtry passed away on march 25th of course where do you begin with larry mcmurtry Emmys, Oscars, Pulitzer, you, you name it. Uh, incredibly, uh, incredible career uh, as a literary figure in Texas. And of course, a University of North Texas graduate like Marcus Carr. Uh, but on the same day that Larry McMurtry passed away, we also lost Dr. Bobby Brown. It flew just a little bit under the radar, I think. And for those who don't know, this was an extraordinary person, Dr. Bobby Brown was on four World Series winning teams as a third baseman with the New York Yankees. He, he batted 439 in the postseason. Think about that for a minute. Uh, he was the only active major league player to serve in the Korean conflict. But get this, he went to medical school while playing for the Yankees. He did all those things without giving baseball his full attention. Can you imagine uh, a, a player today in the big leagues going to medical school while also playing on a World Series winning team? He retired at age 29 to start the first cardiology practice in Fort Worth. And, and he spent the 1974 season helping stabilize the Rangers, as the club said in a statement upon his passing, when he served as their interim president. Took a break to be 10 years as the American League president when that job was a, was a thing. Just, just an extraordinary life. So I encourage people, look up Dr. Bobby Brown and read about the, this inspiration, uh, inspirational life uh, that he had, passing away at age 96 in Fort Worth on March 25. What a, what a, what an inspirational person. And 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 Monica, on a, you were inspired in a different kind of way recently, uh, attending. Uh, oh yes. A soccer match at at the Cotton Bowl. Tell us about that. Oh, Sully, I'm so so excited. Fans are back. I'm at, it was my first time in a year to be able to attend a live sporting event. Uh, it put me back in my element. Uh, really, um, I don't know, inspired me uh, and, and kind of motivated me for what's going what's gonna to come about here uh, over the next few months as uh, people get a little bit more comfortable with uh, attending events. But awesome opportunity. Uh, we had Club America versus uh, Monterey out at uh, Cotton Bowl Stadium on Saturday. Actually had three events over the weekend uh, on Saturday. So uh, definitely an increased uh, activity there from a sports world. And not only that, but uh, we've got Rangers opening day coming up uh, with, uh, you know, full capacity crowds uh, expected there out at uh, Globe Life Field. Uh, new news coming out of the NFL earlier this week that uh, Roger Goodell said that they're expecting 
stadiums to be back to 100 uh, percent that's a that's a big win for us uh, typically you know from from stats of, of previous seasons 2018 2019 uh, cowboy games uh, generate about uh, 31.9 million in visitor spending for for the city of Dallas and the overall impact of over 49 million uh, so that's that's a big deal for our hotels and restaurants and our, and our business community here just to know that, okay, um, sports are coming back, the Cowboys are going to be playing, uh, and we would assume that uh, all of our other professional teams and leagues and other events that we host here in Dallas are going to kind of follow suit. So I think there's some light at the end of the tunnel here in 2021 for us. Yeah, and it sounds like Dallas benefits even with events that are in Arlington at AT&T Stadium and Globe Life Field. Is that yes so that's right oh yeah i you know that we're true uh look at it from a true regional uh, perspective uh we we know that uh, arlington has a huge benefit of ho having those uh world-class venues there um, but we see increased uh tourism and, and increased um uh, activity in downtown dallas whenever there are events out out in arlington or or fort worth or other areas here within the metroplex yeah, no, it's, there's definitely pent-up demand for people to get back out. We've got uh, Rangers opening up this week, so let's see uh, on the road and then at home on April 5th against Toronto. So let's let's uh, let's get it going. It's baseball season, uh, and let's and with that, let's go over to Rachel for a word from one of our sponsors. Hey, are you tired of nights in binge watching your spouse's or quarantine partner's favorite shows, or waiting for the delivery service to bring you a lukewarm meal? Let's bring hot dogs and cold brews back. How? Hockey's back. That's right, your Dallas Stars, remember them? Western Conference champs last year? Well, they're back and they're bringing the heat to the AAC ice while on their quest to bring the Stanley Cup back to Dallas. And the best part, fans are welcome. Yep, dreams come true. So visit DallasStars.com today for all the best ticket deals and schedule information. Thanks, Rachel. And now we're happy to welcome our old friend, George Killebrew, Major League Rugby Commissioner to the show. After graduating from and working at, at SMU in athletics, George headed to pro sports, first with the Dallas Sidekicks, and soon thereafter began a record-breaking 27-year run, leading the business and marketing sales efforts of, of the Mavericks. Here's a fun fact for you. George is a native of Honolulu. I haven't met that many people who are actually natives of, of Hawaii. And as a kid, he once appeared in an episode of Hawaii Five-0, which maybe that was the launching pad for him. Who knows? At the Mavericks, we used to call him Harmon. Now we call him Mr. Commissioner. Welcome, George Killebrew, to the mic drop. Sully, thanks. What a great introduction. <laughs> well, we're ha we're happy to, to to have you back. Uh, the uh, a lots a lots happened, and give us the uh, give us the latest on Major League Rugby and the Dallas Jackals. So our season began two weeks ago. You know, we have 12 teams participating in the competition. Dallas is one of our expansion cities, and they will uh, begin play in 2022. Uh, so we've gotten through two weeks, no COVID delays. Uh, it's been wonderful. We've done four nationally televised games on CBS Sports Network and Fox Sports 2, and we're off and running and looking forward to year th uh, week three. So, George, um... Tell us a little bit about Major League Rugby finding its headquarters or home here in Dallas. And honestly, kind of how you go from, uh, I mean, your top sports executive here in the Dallas area, been with the Mavs, and all of a sudden uh, transition into rugby. How, how is that going? Well, Monica, it's, it's been great. You know, when they 
started the search for commissioner it got on the radar of a couple guys one being donnie nelson at the mavs and one being mark cuban at the mavs and they talked to me about it and said you know even though you know nothing about rugby you know a little bit about business and maybe you'd be a good fit for them so when i was selected as the commissioner i was able to kind of move the league office to where i was so we moved here to dallas which you know is, is perfect for us because our teams are spread across the country in Canada and Dallas is the center point. You know, we have teams in the West. We have a team in Los Angeles, one in San Diego, one in Seattle, but we also have teams in New York and DC and Atlanta. Um, you know, and here in the center, we have Austin, Houston, and New Orleans. So, you know, Dallas was a, the perfect place to call home and, and move the league headquarters here. Well, definitely glad to keep you here in Dallas. Uh, and I have always been a great supporter of ours at the sports commission. So what, um, I guess what's been your the most surprising thing uh, as a start of the season and, and, and you know, play is getting going. Uh, you waited a while for, for this through COVID and the pandemic, but what's been the your biggest surprise here over the last few weeks? Um, you know, really, you know, this is going into year four for this league. And just really every metrics that a sports league or a sports team is, is judged by are on the rise. You know, our attendance numbers, you know, in the cities that we are allowed to have, you know, fans are up. Our sponsorship numbers are off the charts uh, for the league. Um, our OTT following, you know, we started our own OTT platform, you know, before this year, we were kind of a renter on other people's. And now we decided to get into the business um, and we launched the Rugby Network, which is for rugby fans, it's a, a free OTT network where they can follow all of our teams, plus all of our shoulder content, all of the international rugby content we have as well. Um, and there, and it's free. So there, there is no paywall or what have you. And we set a goal of having about 30,000 users in the first year through the first two weeks, we have 20,000. So, you know, the thing that surprised me is that there's this underlying kind of fan base there that just needs to be tapped into. They, you know, we skew very young, kind of the 18 to 34 demo that has a lot of curiosity about rugby. And we're doing the things to reach them and to tap into them. And, you know, I think things are moving quicker, I guess, to answer your question directly than I thought they would move. Well, that's a positive thing. You kind of go into my uh, next question. Uh, you know, Dallas Jackals, we, we mentioned them a little bit earlier. Can you give us an idea of or where they're playing or our listeners where they're playing? And then you know, what can we do here uh, to engage the fans? And, you know, typically we're the football, basketball, you know, capital of, of the world here in Texas and Friday Night Lights is so big. But, you know, what can we do to really engage the fans in the community to make sure they're supporting rugby uh, when, when our Jackals play next year? Yeah, so the Dallas, we're excited about the Dallas Jackals. They're going to be playing at Globe Life Park. Um, you know, so as you know, the Rangers have built a new beautiful palace, but they're keeping the one next door as well. And so that's going to be for things like USL soccer, Major League Rugby, et cetera. They have a great operator, uh, a guy by the name of Scott Sanju, that's done a lot of really great things in the sports world already. He is the team president. Uh, Neil Liebman, who, um, you know, is the president of business operations for the Texas Rangers, is their lead investor. Um, so, you know, they've, they've got all the, the makings and the setups, you know, to be very successful in, in, in year one. Um, you know, as far as, as the fan side of it, you know, people ask me all the time, you know, what is rugby similar to? And it really has the properties of a lot of the sports you just mentioned, Monica. I mean, it's most closely associated with football. 
um, except, you know, rugby players don't wear pads and helmets. So it has that physicality of football. Uh, it has the grace and, and the passing of, of basketball and hockey, um, you know, and, and soccer to an extent. So it, it really takes a lot of the, you know, things we love about the sports we're used to and that are indigenous to us here in North America and kind of wraps them all into one in rugby. So we hope, you know, we have something for everyone and we think we do. George, you, uh, the, rugby is also known for its fun and kind of wild spirit. You, you have an expansion team in LA named after a cocktail for crying out loud, <laughs> the Giltinis. Talk about that a little. First of all, how did that name come about? And what about just, well, you know, what you've learned about the culture, the vibe, the spirit of the sport that is so unique? Yeah, that's something that we really need to capitalize on Expose better. Like, for example, after a match, the two teams that just beat each other up as best they can, you know, go into the locker rooms, take a break, and then they come back together and meet for dinner, uh, which is probably not done anywhere else in sports. And so there are a lot of really interesting facets to this game. And the fun side of it that you mentioned, Sully, um, really came out in our research this summer. You know, we had some time to really do an in-depth study of what our, who our fans are and what they want. And what rose to the top is fun. And these guys are fun. They're, they're, first of all, they're very colorful. You know, we have players, you know, from all around the world. So, you know, the base of our teams are American players, but each team can have up to 10 or so international players. So you have guys from England and Ireland and Argentina and South Africa and Australia and New Zealand that are populating these teams. And when you kind of get that melting pot together, very, maybe very similar to soccer, it get it, you, it, it adds to great theater. And, and that's kind of what we have. And we really need to do a better job of exposing those personalities because some of these players are not only are they fun, but they're wild. And, and the sport is such where it lends itself to that. And that's the kind of things that we're going to be highlighting at the matches throughout the year. Anything that the Sanju family, a Sanju family member is involved in, I'm, I'm all in. So with Scott leading the, the Jackals, I'm looking forward to them starting play next season. But in the meantime, you've been on a spree adding sponsors. Uh, 10 or so sponsors have been added at the national level, including Dallas-based American Airlines. Tell us about, you know, we love talking about the business side of sports uh, here on the mic drop. What's happening there and what role will American Airlines be playing uh, with, the, with Major League Rugby? Yeah, it, you know, it was kind of the missing link, Sully. You know, we hadn't done a great job there. And, you know, being here in Dallas, I was able to lure a new chief commercial officer here, a guy by the name of Mark Yates that maybe a lot of you know. He was 25 years at Fox Sports Southwest, and we'd worked together very closely at the Mavericks. He had not only the Mavericks, but all of the, the professional teams in the Fox Southwest footprint. Um, you know, and so he, he joined us about eight, eight months ago, and, and we just put a lot of emphasis on it. And we've been able to knock down not only, you know, rugby kind of brands that are part of our sport, but a lot of non you know, more traditional kind of sponsors, such as American Airlines, Geico, guaranteed rates, and a few. You know, the American situation was, you know, that's a company that we've all had a long-term relationship. You know, I was involved back in their naming rights of the American Airlines Center. Uh, I think we understand their DNA. They're not your typical kind of write a big check sports sponsor. Um, so, you know, we're able to kind of get with them. They became really more of a partner of the league and, and kind of helped us with our kind of our travel issues, you know, we're moving, you know, 13 teams across the country in Canada. So not every airline is a candidate for that. 
you know, not everybody flies to Toronto, you know, but, you know, as an example, but, you know, they've been a great partner and it's not just that, you know, they, they tweeted back at us on opening day off their Twitter account, wishing, uh, wishing us good luck. Um, they're running a really nice article about the growth of the league in American way magazine, which, you know, is a really high profile thing for us. You know, we're all, we've all been there as a captured audience sitting on an airplane and we reach into the, you know, the seat pocket and pull out our magazine and, and read it. And, you know, so they're, they're being a great partner and they've saved us a ton of money um, in, in our travel budget by being able to aggregate the things we're doing. So that was kind of the first one. And then now we have three or, three or so more things that we're going to announce here in the coming weeks, but that piece has really grown and it really was the missing link for this league. You mentioned Fox Sports Southwest, George, the, this week, of course, rebranding the Bally Sports what is that all about and what does that mean for sports fans in North Texas? Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting thing that's, that's happening in the television world. Um, you know, it's the monetization of a, a network for the first time, really adding a title sponsor to the name. So the old, you know, what we knew was, and it had a lot of iterations, as you know, Sully, Prime Sports, um, you know. Home Sports way, Entertainment, Home HSC. Sports Entertainment, yeah. uh, all the way to they, where they are today or what we got used to with Fox sports Southwest and now Bally sports, but you know, it's just, you know, these RSNs and, and that business is a model that's really changing and they had an opportunity to monetize it, um, you know, with a, a company that has, you know, some gambling, you know, sites to it as well. And it's kind of where things are going, you know, um, DraftKings and sponsors like that have become kind of everyday names and the monetization of the gambling on professional sports is, is in the top five issues with professional sports today. Yeah, we had Brad Albertson a few weeks ago and talked about the cord cutters who, you know, good for you with going over the top with the rugby network, smart play, especially making it free. Uh, but they have to deal with that issue too. And, and you know, Brad suggested that, that they will figure it out hopefully soon so that, so that cord cutters will have access to stars in, in Mavericks programming. You have a prediction for us on, on that? I mean, it has to happen, Sully, right? I mean, the worst thing you can do as a property is to have your content unavailable, you know, regardless of the size of your market, you know, and, and for our, our NBA and NHL teams, you know, it's, it's just crucial. You know, you've got to, we all know, we watch our kids and how they consume sports and like none of my sons want to sit down for two and a half hours with me in front of the television and watch anything. You know, they're able to get their content through, social media, through Snapchat, through Instagram, through Twitter, in small bites, you know, they know the final score, you know, they can still love their teams and worship them. They're just not putting in the time, you know, and so we as properties have to adapt to that. And that's kind of the beauty of the rugby network. It gives you the ability to consume our content at your leisure. If it's live, terrific. We want you on FS2 and we want you on CBS Sports watching us live. Um, but if not, you know, the content is there and it's available to you and it's free. You had a long and have a long, have a long relationship with Mark Cuban. Give our listeners a sense of what he is like to work for, work with, and kind of what makes him such a successful sports team owner. I worked with Mark for 20 years and, you know, I loved working with Mark. And the reason I loved it is you get feedback immediately with Mark. You know, he's, he has a saying, he's a 24 seven by 365 kind of guy. He does, he took the Mavericks very seriously. He's there 
you know, for you immediately, which is we, we've all had bosses that really aren't. You, know, you get immediate feedback from Mark. You get the good, the bad, and the ugly. So at times you have to be a little tough skinned, but I prefer that. I prefer having someone that gives me immediate feedback, you know, and, and, and over time, you know, we, it wasn't like it was every issue was going in front of Mark. You know, when there was a gray area, we'd serve it up, he'd rule and we'd move on. And then you also kind of learn his personality and, and what he likes and dislikes and what his management styles are. So it makes it easier over time. But I, I love working with Mark. You know, I, I hope to, I, I get to bend his ear about rugby because maybe people don't know this, but rugby was his first love. Uh, he played rugby at the University of Indiana. He financially supports not only Indiana University rugby, but the USA men's and women's teams. Um, you know, he's, he's written checks there. So I get to bend his ear now about, about kind of some of the issues we're going through. And just like I said, when I was working directly with him at the Mavs, he's there immediately. You know, as soon as I can bang out an email, I got an opinion coming right back at me. So, uh, yeah, just a really great 20 years with Mark. So, George, I always like to ask uh, some of my listeners, and I know your affiliation with SMU. I teach a sports management class at SMU and uh, like to give them a little tidbit uh, for you know, what should they be thinking about? They want to get in the sports industry. Uh, what are it's a hot market right now? Uh, you know, uh, a lot of people out there looking for for jobs and whatnot. But uh, what should these students be be thinking about as they try to enter the the sports world? Yeah, first of all, Monica, thanks for jumping in and helping out the alma mater there. <laughs> it's a great program. I think yep. we're going on about year ten with that program, and it's really grown. And the great thing when I go over there and lecture to the to the same students, you know the Dallas has such a rich opportunity if you want to be in this business. And yeah, it may start with, as you put your list together, you know, as a student of the possible entities you could work for once you graduate, you know, at the top may be the Dallas Cowboys or the Dallas Mavericks or what have you. But if your list isn't 50 to 75 sports teams, sports leagues, sports marketing agencies, sports sponsors, deep, then you're not doing your homework, right? This is a really, really ripe sports marketing area in Dallas and Fort Worth. And you and I really challenge those students to make their list. And like I said, it can start with your dream job at the top, but if it's not 50 to 75 names deep from those four kind of you know areas that I mentioned, you're not doing your homework. And then you're on each of their websites every day and you're looking for what, what their needs are as far as employment. And if you can't make it in, in Dallas-Fort Worth, you're just not trying because it is as ripe as anywhere in the country. It's incredible how many entities are, are based here, including Major League Rugby. And we're happy to have you on the show this week, George. Thank you for joining us and good luck with the season. And we'll be ready for the Dallas Jackals next season. Thanks, Sully. Thanks, Monica. We'll see you guys soon. And now over to Rachel for a word from one of our sponsors. Looking to get out of the house in a safe way? Try having a relaxing weekend at the spa or a fun family staycation for spring break. The Omni Dallas Hotel is right in the heart of downtown, within walking distance to some of the area's best restaurants and unique shopping. The Uptown Terrace Infinity Pool is a family-friendly retreat during the day and a great place to watch a romantic sunset over the Dallas skyline at night. Go to omnihotels.com Dallas for the best offers and plan your post-quarantine staycation today. Because why? Big wins happen here. Thanks, Rachel. And now, what a thrill to be joined by Vern Lundquist. Next week, 
Vern will be part of his 36th Masters telecast for CBS Sports, 22nd consecutive year at 16. Uh, the recently retired longtime voice of SEC football and college basketball for, for CBS. Uh, of course, we first learned to love Vern on the air at Channel 8 and as the radio voice of the Dallas Cowboys. During the NCAA Final Four in Dallas and back in 2014, Vern was honored with the Blackie Sherrod Award for his many contributions to college basketball. Uh, of course, he appeared in Happy Gilmore, so he's versatile. Uh, and as wonderful as he is as an announcer, he is an even better person. So Vern, welcome to the mic drop. Thank you very much. It's a, a pleasure to be here. Well, let's get right to the Masters and let's start with the, the Nicholas Birdie putt on 17. Can you believe it was 35 years ago? No, impossible. It, 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 it does because uh, Kevin is replayed every year. Uh, and I'm honored by that. Uh, but because it was Jack, if it had been, and I just picked this name out of the hat, if it had been Tom Kite, uh, we would have applauded politely, but this was Jack Nicholas. And, and he was 46 years of age. He had not won in two years. Uh, a friend of his with whom he was staying, one of his coaches, Jack Grout, was staying with Jack and Barbara and a fellow in the Atlanta Journal-Constitution on Tuesday ran his his list of possible winners for the Augusta National in 86 and he had Jack Nicholas listed among the also rans uh, too old and uh, hadn't played well well Jack Grout <laughs> posted that column on the refrigerator door and every time Jack walked by, he'd see it. He didn't necessarily read it every time, but he certainly knew it was there. And he seethed about that. So, so then inexplicably, because uh, he was 46, that's, that's an older age for uh, athletes of any sort. Uh, but you can sometimes get away with it in golf, and Jack did. But he entered that that uh, Sunday round. He was trailing by four, and then he had uh, a magical back nine. He, he wound up shooting thirty in the back nine at the age of forty-six. And and as he made his way around, uh, we were all caught up in in what he was about to accomplish. And I, I don't think there was a soul watching around the world who didn't hope he could somehow pull off the miraculous. And I just remember when, when he teed off at 17, he had somehow gotten into a lead. No, tied for a lead with Seve Ballesteros. And Ballesteros was playing, I guess, we, we used to debate this, Kevin, forever. Is it Ballesteros or Ballesteros? Well, come on. Give the guy his due. It's Ballesteros. But we anglicize everything, so it's Ballesteros. Uh, <laughs> but Sebi had put one in the water at 15, and here was Jack. Now he's tied for the lead. And he hit an indifferent tee shot. Really, he pulled it way left, and then he hit it a a wedge or a nine iron, I'm not sure what it was, uh, 
to within 12 feet. And I did tell myself as he was walking up, good gosh almighty, if he makes this putt, he's going to have the lead. And he made it. And I reacted just instinctively to what I saw happening in front of me. I said, maybe. And it was a lot closer than maybe was justified in saying. If I'd said maybe two feet away, it, you know, I may have seemed prescient. But I said maybe it was about this far. <laughs> but then when he dropped his, uh, when he raised his putter in the air and the, the famous shot that's memorialized at Augusta National now in bronze. Uh, I said, well, yes, I, sir. I, I encourage our listeners, pause the mic drop, go to YouTube, punch in Vern Lundquist, Jack Nicholas, Masters, and watch the call. As you just described, three words, maybe, yes, sir. Talk about the simplicity. Isn't that what has made it so enduring? Obviously, you captured the moment in an elegant way, but you're, you're known as a guy who, who, who knows how to capture those moments as an announcer. Was the simplicity of it the thing that makes it, made it so great? I believe so. I, and, and the other thing, just me, uh, a side note, and Jack and I have talked about that moment before, since, uh, a couple of times. Most recently, uh, at the last full Masters in 2019, before it was canceled or postponed last year. Uh, if you do watch it again, watch what he does. He's almost like a symphony conductor because when the ball drops, as I'm saying those words, yes, sir, with slightly more emphasis than that, he, he puts his arms like this and he does a downbeat and he goes, yes, sir. And it's as if he plugged into my head and thought, well, I better emphasize this. And, and he did. And I, I, I spoke with him two years ago, most recently, about that. And I think it, it helps us. First of all, it's Jack Nicholas, But it does help us all recall that moment even more significantly than we might. Just, yes, sir. And uh, I thank him for that. <laughs> Yeah, when you have, when you sense a big moment coming up, whether it was in an SEC game or a college basketball game or a Cowboys broadcast back in the day, do you ever think ahead of time about what you might say if if the touchdown is caught or the the, the three pointer is made at the at the buzzer? I think it's got to be extemporaneous. I, I just think you've got to trust your gut and react to the moment. And whatever, here's what, here's a, our, the goal of every professional broadcaster that I know of, sports broadcaster, is to uh, be assigned to a moment that has significance. And if that moment occurs in front of you, to gather your self-confidence and your, and, and, and trust what you're going, how you're going to react. But uh, you just, you can't plan it. Uh, I know guys, <laughs> very well-known guys, who have been who have been caught cribbing. The night before, they say, "Well, I'm going to say this when that happens," and uh, it's so obvious when it happens. And I'm I'm not in the business of naming names. 
but it it does happen. You know, this this is such a a, a blast for me. I remember the first time that that we really interacted, which was, and, and this is hard to believe, in 19, I don't know, 80 or 81, 82, somewhere in there, early Mavericks days, the Seattle Supersonics were doing this experiment where they traveled a color commentator. It might have been Rick Barry, but they, they traveled a, 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 an analyst and they hired a play-by-play announcer in each city. And they wisely hired you to broadcast that Mavericks-Sonics game and I went over to Channel 8 uh, on the morning of the game, it may have been the day before, and delivered the game notes and the media guides and all your materials to help you prepare. Uh, and I don't know, you've done so many uh, events. I don't know if you re- even remember that that game or that night, but just it was so unusual uh, to have you in the building broadcasting for the sign. I don't know if you have you done an, an NBA game. I know you had some years with Turner. Have you d- done other NBA games? But what do you remember uh, about yes. that unusual yeah, so okay. it, uh, in in the eighties, we had uh, we had the rights to the NBA uh, at CBS. Right, at CBS, right? Uh, and and I did any number of games. My two regular partners were two all stars, uh, Tommy Heinsohn and Billy Cunningham. And uh, I'll share something funny that I just was talking to my wife Nancy last week about this. Uh, Billy Cunningham is one of the kindest, gentlest people I've ever, you know, the, the kangaroo kid at North Carolina. And I just saw that Roy Williams is uh, about to announce his retirement. Uh, but, but Billy and Pat Hayden, uh, and Pat was my, was my uh, longtime partner at CBS for college. I did back and forth. Mm-hmm. And uh, Billy and Pat and I were having lunch at Augusta. And Billy looked at me and he said, you know what? We're going to nickname you Otis. And I said, what in the world? He said, because when Pat and I are able to climb on board your up escalator, you take us right to the top. (laughs) And then you got to go back and do the damn thing all over again. Uh, But it, it, uh, you know, I've, I've, I've carved out a pretty nice career as Avis. Uh, and I'm very comfortable with that. I, re- I, I used to, I was a bitter guy for a lot of those years when I was at Channel 8. And Channel 8 was, A, Channel 8 was the biggest opportunity I ever got uh, to jump into the what was then number eight market, I think, in the US. Now it's way beyond that. Uh, but to get that opportunity and then when I was given the chance to join the Cowboys initially with Bill Mercer and Bill is still living. He's 95. Uh, he's widowed. Uh, I keep in touch with him maybe once every four or five months. He's living in Denton. And, and so I worked with Bill. Then I worked with Blackie and who wouldn't want to do that. And, and then that led the Cowboy assignment was huge too. And that led directly to to the network. But uh, look, I've 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 established an ego wall, <laughs> and all this stuff in the background. We're in Austin, by the way. Nancy and I live full time in Steamboat Springs, Colorado. We've lived there since '84, and uh, but about three years ago, we we 
decided to be sensible and get warm. And so we live right in downtown Austin. We're at, the, at a high rise on Nueces Street. So we love Austin. I grew up here. And Nancy went to the University of Texas. And uh, okay. we've got family and friends. So we're back home. But uh, I'm, I'm avoiding what you asked. <laughs> Senility is no fun. No, you, and you're, you're a long way from that, Vern. But you, met, you mentioned the Roy Williams breaking news. What are your reflections on his career at, uh, at North Carolina? Well, two things. First of all, I knew him at Kansas. And uh, <clears throat> I'm not being disparaging. I'm, I'm kind of teasing. Roy is built low to the ground. Now, not in height, just in body type. And we nicknamed him years ago. Uh, and please understand that this is with warmth and affection. But we all in broadcasting, we call him Huckleberry Hound. Uh, and I remember when he was at Kansas and Bonnie Bernstein was our sideline reporter and she interviewed Roy and there were rumors. I mean, you know, he's a graduate of North Carolina. And, and he asked... He asked Roy, uh, she asked Roy, what about the rumors about you going to North Carolina? And he got livid on camera. And he said something about, Bonnie, that's a really impudent question. He turned around and walked off. Uh, and I was lucky enough to, uh, to do several games at North Carolina, a lot with Billy, Billy Cunningham. So it's it's he has a legacy that is untarnished uh, one of the great basketball coaches ever speaking of which i just saw that jim Beheim is up for the hall of fame i'm stunned that he's not in it already so that's my that's my pronouncement for the day so, Vern, uh, something really caught my ear earlier in uh, Sully's intro of you, and I have to know some additional info here. Uh, you played an announcer in Happy Gilmore. How, how did all of that come about? <laughs> I'm represented by a, a guy named Bob Rosen. Uh, he was recommended to me uh, by Barry Frank, who the late Barry Frank was a really important guy and i went to bob because he had all the golf guys and and uh bob re represented pat summerall so among others and he called me one day and he said there's uh there's a bit part in a movie that's being shot in vancouver british columbia this would have been in 96. <coughs> excuse me and uh they would like for you to come up and play an announcer. So I thought, well, that'd be kind of cool. And I actually have a long, long history in film. <laughs> I did uh, Best Little Whorehouse in Texas with Burt Reynolds and Dolly Parton in 1981. Uh, I had a very big starring role in Last Boy Scout with Bruce Willis. And then Happy Gilmore came along. And I thought, well, this kind of be this would be fun. I'd never met Adam Sandler, 
until I got the location. And then uh, they said, well, you know, we're going to let you use your name and, and, and have, a, have a bigger role than we intended. So I did the take, I did the whole thing in one day and uh, it came and went in movie theaters and didn't make a splash at all. But then cable television came on and it became a staple uh, on USA, I think initially, but now it's all over the world. And I do get a residual check. That's one of the joys of doing what uh, those of us in front of a camera I just realized I didn't put my glasses on. Uh, I, oh, I can see you now. Uh, and anyway, uh, I get residuals once every four months, usually in, on the order of $27.15. Uh, so it's, it's the ultimate modest amount. But when that thing hit cable, and now, my gosh, it is the gift that keeps on giving because young people, it, it connects me across two generations. And I'm now uh, interacting with college kids when I was on college campuses uh, constantly. And it's the Happy Gilmore. There's one line that I, I don't quite get yet, but it elicits laughter. And that's when I turned to the guy who's sitting by the side of me. And by the way, he was Adam Sandler's roommate at New York University. And uh, the director, Dennis Dugan said, Jack, sit next to Vern in all these scenes, but you can't say a word. You just got to nod because you're not a member of the Screen Actors Guild. So that's Jack and, and he just nods sagely. And at one point, Happy Gilmore in the form of Adam Sandler or other way around is introduced on the first tee. Now on the first tee, Happy Gilmore. And I turned to Jack and put my hand and I said, who the hell is Happy Gilmore? And that thing gets laughter. And I'm not sure why, uh, but it tickles some people's funny bone. Well, so it, it really has been a, blessing to me to be involved in that so do we have uh other other movies you may be starring in coming out that we need to well, put on our radar dad gummit <laughs> well you know Vern, we have this uh what are you downloading segment at the end and they're always on me to figure out you know what are you downloading this week and sometimes i come up short so if there was a movie that you're going to be starring in here here soon i wanted to make sure to get it on my list well i i would go back and i would download <laughs> best little whorehouse in texas i mean that was the the late larry king wrote the article originally for texas monthly magazine may have been harper's one or the other but he told the story of this if you grew up in texas you knew about this place it was in lagrange and larry king wrote a story about the madam and it was adopted for 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 the for the movie uh, by Larry King, and they picked Burt Reynolds and uh, and Dolly Parton, and I had minimal exposure in this thing, but it took all day. Uh, we shot it at the the same lot at Universal Studios where they had filmed 
Lon Chaney and and uh, the Frankenstein movie back in the twenties, uh, and that one hit big. I mean that that movie was was enormous. And best little horror, uh, not best little horror house, uh, the last Boy Scout. My mom, it, it's a Bruce Willis, Damon Wayans. It, it's a buddy movie. And they use every curse word known to mankind throughout. And I appear in the opening scene. And my dad was a Lutheran minister. My mom was a very, very typical Lutheran minister's wife. And they took another couple and they went to see the movie because they knew I was in it. And I said, mom, good gosh, did you stay through the whole thing? And she said, well, of course we did. I said, why would you do that? She said, well, you were in the first scene. We figured you had to come back in the last scene. Didn't happen. <laughs> so she probably went home and as she used to do with me when I was a naughty little child, wash your own mouth out with soap. I remember those words myself. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> so I got. I have one one more question for you, Vern. What uh, what should we look forward to at this year's Masters? I mean, obviously, you know we're here, we're here in Dallas, so we're going to be cheering for our our Jordan Spieth um, local guy. But uh, what's your uh, what's your thoughts on what we should look for? Well, just on form, and it's it's impossible to, I think, to, to really predict. And Jordan suffered the ultimate meltdown, of course, when he had the lead and put it in the water 12 foot four times. Uh, I think the dominant theme this year is going to be missing Tiger. And uh, I'm, I'm thrilled by what we believe uh, is his recovery that's ongoing but he's going to override everybody's thoughts. It's just going to happen because uh, his win, uh, the last time this was played was monumental. And uh, by the way, credit to Jim Nance and Nick Valdo. They did say that part, Sully was asking a while ago about the key to this. Well, I think part of it is uh, the ability to recognize that it is a visual medium. And when things happen, just shut up. And I had a personal record uh, that I thought was pretty damn good uh, in 2013, the Alabama-Auburn game. Uh, and if you ever go back and watch that, that's when Chris Davis got loose uh, on a missed field goal and went 109 yards and he leaped into the end zone and then into the stands. And I just instinctively said an answered prayer. And Steve Milton, our Hall of Fame director, both SEC and, and he'll do the Masters this coming week. Uh, Steve cut camera shots for, he, he made 21 camera cuts in a minute and 21 seconds. And I didn't say a word during that time because he was a symphony conductor. And then when the noise began to subside, I said, well, you might want to see that again. That's simple. And then Gary took it over from there, Gary Danielson. 
And that was a minute 21. Well, when Tiger won in 2019, Jim Nance and Nick Faldo accomplished the improbable. They laid out for two minutes and 56 seconds. Not a word. And they showed Tiger hugging his kids, uh, his mom, uh, getting the reception from, from the other Masters champions who were there. Uh, it was an extraordinary scene and you did not need to say a word and they didn't. And uh, boy, to their everlasting credit for that. Vern, we could, we could go on all day hearing these stories. This, is, this has been such, such a uh, enjoyable conversation. We gotta ask you one more though. You know, we, we we think back on the impact that you had in Dallas, both the Channel Eight with the Cowboys. We won't. We don't have time to get into bowling for dollars. What's coming? <laughs> Go but ahead, Sully. Sully. It, you know, you were you were on the scene uh, uh, for for uh, Dale Hansen's shift from Channel Four to Channel Eight, which would well, of course change. That was coming. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, which has, which of course changed the history of the media, the sports media landscape in Dallas for decades, for generations. What do you remember about Dale's move to Channel 8 after a rough start in Dallas at Channel 4? Uh, and, you know, the, oh, we all the, remember role, that. The, role you, the role you played, and what do you think about that now? Well, I can share one more story, if you've got time, about that whole transition. Dale uh, got fired from Channel 4, had, had moved down from Omaha, and he, I, I, I think I remember this properly. He, he got fired for putting on a hog's nose and glasses on the air and he's making fun of Arkansas, and you're out. So now, Nance and I, this was in 83, and I knew things were going pretty well at CBS, I'd gotten an opportunity to go there and I really had, that's what I always wanted to do was play by play uh, on, a, uh, on a national network. And it looked like it might happen. So we're at, at uh, in Jacksonville for what was then the, the early stages of the Players' Championship. And I get off the air on a rehearsal day and go back into our little cabin area and there were three notes on the wall. Call, uh, call Marty Haig at Channel 8. Call the Dallas Morning News. Call the Dallas Times Herald. And I looked at Nance and I said, gee, and I was being facetious. Gee, maybe Marty Haig is going to fire me. And my wife said, maybe they hired Dale Hansen. I said, I believe I'll call Marty Haig first. And he's the best news boss I ever, ever worked with anywhere. And, and Marty picked up the phone. He said, are you sitting down? Well, I will. He said, we just signed Dale Hansen to a long-term contract. What? But think about this. The continuum at Channel 8, there had been two sports directors two since 1967. I don't think that's equaled anywhere in the country. And, and, and that's a huge shout out 
to Dale and, and, and the, uh, just the, the niche he's earned for himself. I mean, some folks, I thought, I, I knew for sure you're going to bring up bowling for dollars and you will, <laughs> I will be eternally grateful for you for not doing that. But <laughs> I still hear about that puppy too. Uh, but, but Dale, think about that. 83 until 2021. Think and, he's ever going to retire? Well, who, who told me... Who had uh, Joe? Uh, yeah, we had Joe, Joe Trahan on uh, yeah, last Joe week. Cran. And we yeah. asked Joe. He thinks this guy been there eighteen years. How long are you willing to wait for this guy? And he 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 laughed. And of course, we love Dale and hope he he he's he uh, he stays on the job for for a long time. So well, he's got a pretty sweet deal now. He he never leaves his ranch in Weatherford. Well, he is a mega talent, and uh, oh, and gosh. we'll see. One day, he one day uh, he may step aside, but hopefully not anytime soon. And you well, know Vern, what? He's a man of great courage. He really is. He'll take on any topic. I mean, I I remember Michael Sam. I think was the fellow's name. Right. He became yep. the first openly gay football player at Missouri, and Gale Dale was right in his corner. And he does that often, 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 often to his everlasting credit. Well, Vern, this has been spectacular. Thanks so much for joining us. And by the way, I, I love the way you mentioned Nancy and every conversation, every interview, every story. This is one of the great romances in, in, in sports and in sports media. You're a great example for young, young husbands uh, out there uh, to not forget to, to, to include their, their, their wives. So thank well, you. A quick note, and then I'll gracefully bow out, I hope. Uh, Nancy and I, this is our third marriage, both of us. She had one of, she married her, her high school sweetheart here at the University of Texas, put him through dental school, it didn't work. Then she married, I married, uh, I was married for three years. That was uh, a terrible experience. And then I, I, well, I fulfilled every man's desire in the 60s and 70s. <laughs> I married a flight attendant. <laughs> and, and, and we got to fly around the world at almost no cost. So, and then Kathy and I uh, celebrated, amic I mean, separated and divorced quite amicably. Nancy and I got married April 8th of 1982. So we're coming up on 39 years next week. We never got to spend it together because it was the first week of Augusta. The first, yeah, that week always. And then finally she agreed to come three years ago and can't go back this year, but uh, she's a charmer. She is by far the best thing that ever happened to me in my life. Well, this has been a, such a treat. Thanks for joining us, Vern. We'll be watching Masters coverage on ESPN and CBS next week. All the best for another memorable broadcast, which I'm sure it will be with you on the mic. Thanks again. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. Now let's hear one more time from Rachel. Dallas is known for its big wins when it comes to sporting events. Whether it be Final Fours, Winter Classics, Pro Drafts, or even international soccer matches, Dallas sets the standard. And now it's time for our biggest win yet. We want the 2026 World Cup. The Dallas Sports Commission is working hard to bring the World Cup back to our great city, and we need your help. 
Head over to DallasWorldCup2026.com to sign the pledge to bring it back. Be sure to follow us on all social media at World Cup Dallas to stay up to date on all things 2026 World Cup. Thanks, Rachel. And now what a blast it is to welcome my friend Chris Arnold to the mic drop. This guy's been on the air on radio since he was 14 years old in Memphis. K104, the ticket, 105.3, the fan, Channel 8, Mavericks courtside reporter. This guy he always has, I know I'm leaving a few jobs out here, Chris, because you always have more than one, usually more than two. Since 2005, the game night maestro for the Mavericks at American Airlines Center. Chris, you're a busy guy, obviously. Not to mention your fitness. Follow this, follow Chris on Instagram, and you're going to get yourself in better shape following his example. I know you're a busy guy. Thanks so much for making some time for the mic drop. You know, I love you and Monica. You guys are my friends. And Sully, I promise you, I got to tell everybody, I would not even be working with the Dallas Mavericks were it not for you. You were the guy that discovered me and got me on board. So thank you so much. By the way, do you remember how it all started? Uh, remind me of what that moment was. Okay. Before you asked me to be a part of the uh, Fox Sports Southwest TV broadcast crew as the Mavericks' first ever courtside reporter, the analyst, right. the, the job skin Wade does. Uh, we're at a game. I've been covering the Mavericks game since the beginning in 1980. And so we're at the one of the home games. And you said, and Kevin McCarthy, the PA announcer, he got vertigo in the middle of the game. So at halftime, you come up to me. You said, Chris, can you do the PA for the game? And I said, sure. So I did the PA for that game. And then you gave me a phone call and said, Kevin's out for the rest of the season. Is there any way you could do the rest of the season? I said, sure. Well, completed the rest of the season. Kevin came back for the next season. And you said, like, that May, you're like, Chris, we're thinking about expanding the TV crew. Can you be a part of that and be our courtside analyst? And I said, let me ask Dale Hanson to Channel 8, because I was doing K104, Channel 8, and the ticket all at the same time. And I asked Dale, and he goes, yeah, I'm doing the Cowboys. You can do the Mavericks. You got it all covered. Rah, 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 rah. So there you go. That's how I started with the Dallas Mavericks, all because of you. So I appreciate you so much. Well, You've changed you're, my life. You're being way too kind. Thank you for that. I remember when McCarthy got ill that night and Marty Faulkner and Steve Letson looked at me and said, what do we do? And you were sitting on the baseline in the, on the press table. And yep. I just knew that you had the personality, the hoops IQ, and, and, and just being a great guy to, to work with, which is why, by the way, for people listening uh, this is why Chris has had all these different jobs. It's not that he can't hold a job. It's that he's so good to work with and so talented. That he keeps getting these, these opportunities, but you, that's right. You stepped in and, and did a, did a great job. And, and, uh, and, you know, skin gets to, gets to, uh, you know, sit, sit at the announce table with harp and follow. Well, you were on the move doing those, oh, yeah. doing those you know, standups and doing promotional things for the sponsors and promoting things on the air. So that, that was a great experience. Oh, it was, uh, a, it was my, great experience. For, it was a great experience for me too, because like Skin just does the home games, and every now and then he'll do a road game. You guys let me do all of the games, right. which was just—I mean, I'm traveling all over the country. I was doing all those different things, as well as you still let me do, you know, K104 and the ticket, and and I mean, it was just—it was amazing. Well, and you know, Chad, the, we have a great intern here in Marcus Carr, who you're going to hear from in, in a minute. But the intern that first year you were doing the courtside games was Mike McCarley, yes. who wanted to get into media and, and, and broadcasting and use that experience as a launch pad. I ended up hiring him at NBC Sports, and he spent 
11 or 12 years as the president of Golf Channel until, until recently uh, moving on to, to a new venture. But uh, so that, that, was, that was a great, uh, a great crew. He, so I, call, I, always we, call him, I always call him your greatest intern ever. And you assigned him to, you know, walk me. I mean, he was like my floor director for the broadcast. And he was just a, a student at SMU at the time. And I swear to God, he winds up being the, the on the Golf Channel and Forbes magazine names him one of the uh, 40 most important people under the age of 40 in sports. It was just an amazing thing. And I was like, that's Sully's intern. Hey, Chris, well, you, we won't, we, you, we won't uh, you let just, Tony Faye know. We won't let Tony Faye know that you said that McCarley was the greatest of our of our interns. So hopefully he won't listen to this part. But uh, but no, McCarley was was uh, was great. Hey, Chris, yeah. you just opened the uh, opened the door for me uh, on a question here. Uh, you mentioned uh, hey, SMU. Mike. Hello there. You just mentioned SMU interns. And uh, I, I have some students that uh, actually listen to this podcast. So. Oh. Uh, I definitely believe in interns and the value that the, that they bring, and uh, but also try to give them a, a few tidbits of what they need to be working towards uh, in uh, you know to get these jobs and these opportunities. Like all of us uh, are, are fortunate to have in the sports world, what what few tips might you give these uh, up and coming students? All right, first let me say good seeing you again. I haven't seen you since the pandemic started. And I was always running into you somewhere. And Monica, you're my friend as well. So I appreciate you so much. As for all students trying to get into the sports media business, the number one thing I always tell all the kids is you've got to make yourself invaluable. You may have talent galore. There's a lot of people with talent, but sometimes people who are talented take their job for granted, or maybe they're insecure and they do little things to make it hard for them to keep a job. What you want to be is invaluable. You want to do all the little things. If you can't do it, you say you can't do it, but you, what you're willing to try. That's what I always tell all of them. You make it, make it hard for them to replace you. Well, that's what I mean by invaluable. You do more than is expected. I used to tell my boss at K104 when I first started there and, and you know, when I was 21 years old, I said, you'll never pay me what I'm worth. You'll never be able to do it because I'm going to work so hard and be so good at it. No matter what you pay me, it's not going to be enough. And so that was my own goal of saying, I'm going to do stuff where you'd have to hire two people, you know, basically. And that's what I tell all the kids. And the other thing I want to tell them is because social media is now a part of media uh, streaming services, all the different platforms. There's so many opportunities to make yourself invaluable. Never be more than just one trick pony. I mean, Sully mentioned that I've always had more than one, one job. You know, right now they call it a gig economy. Generation Z knows about the gig economy. You, you tend to not get the big six figure job right off the bat, right, right after college, you wind up gigging or you wind up wanting to do something that's more fulfilling. And so it requires several different jobs. I've always had that mentality, uh, not because I was greedy, but I always liked to do different things. And I didn't want to give up the one thing I was always doing, which was working in radio. So I always made myself, you know, flexible enough to do a lot of different things. Right now, that's the biggest asset you could have. If you're able to do a podcast, if you're able to uh, be tech support, you already tech support for your parents or your grandparents. They don't know anything about outside of Facebook. They don't know about TikTok and Snapchat and you know Instagram and LinkedIn. You better make sure you get a, a, a resume on LinkedIn for sure. But you make yourself invaluable by being available to do all those different kinds of things. 
because there are people in the tech industry that want to hire you. But if you can only do one thing, only television or only radio, or you can only be in front of the camera, make sure that you know how to do things behind the camera. The, the You can work a board in radio or you can uh, direct in, in television. Make it so that you try to understand as many parts of the industry that you can. And therefore, when you get your foot in the door, seize the moment and try to make it hard for them to replace you. Chris, before we get to your download, what what was it like, you know, being the hype man, being the MC in American Airlines Center with these small, socially distanced crowds? That you had to be earning your keep uh, on these recent games. What's that been like? I appreciate you asking about that because you know it's a different kind of energy you got to bring. Um, when the pandemic first started, there were no NBA games. Then they had resumed the season in the bubble. Ironically, I was doing things in the virtual fan section in the bubble. And uh, a couple of the players, I interviewed them later on my radio show on 105.3 The Fan. They were saying they could hear the fans, and it meant a lot to them. They were down in Orlando at Disney World, but they could see the fans. They could see me sitting in my virtual seat. And during timeouts, I would do certain things to give it like a home court advantage for the Mavericks. When the season, this season started up, they had no fans at the American Airlines Center, I think for 12 games. Then we started having fans there uh, who were healthcare workers and essential uh, workers, first responders and educators. They got in absolutely free as long as they had their test, their COVID test. And the energy was completely different. Now, that's when I first started coming in. Steve Lesson, who still runs the American Airlines Center, still does the game ops and the entire nine yards. It's his operation. And Sally, you've been knowing him forever. And so have you, Monica. Give Letson a lot of credit for trying to create the ambiance for these for these players and, and on both teams, but with no fans in the building and no, you know, MC for the games like my, myself, it was just it was just dead. So they asked me to come back to do it, which I was already going to do it anyway. But once we came into the building and thank Jonathan Kornblatt and and Ryan Rosenbaum because they're the ones who are the game night coordinators, and of course Allie D. She joined in about a month later. We brought the energy. You were able to see 4,500 fans spread out throughout the building. No one on the lower level. I'm talking about lower, like on the floor. Seating ticket holders, there was no first row seats. There was no season ticket holders on the floor. Only a lower level, some suites, upper level, and maybe 20 fans in each section. I think each section can hold maybe 100 people. But because you get the camera angles and have the fans doing the things that they normally did, we gave away T-shirts, so they had the dance cam, or they had that energy. And then you had DJ Poison Ivy with the music. The players and the coaches, Rick Carlisle said it was night and day. The other games without you know us doing what we do, it was like a practice. They said it was just might as well have been a pickup game in a gym. But you had Mavs man, you had Champ, you had all the electricity. The fans were engaged and you know they were screaming at the top of their lungs. So there were big games and you could just tell. And again, I was just doing my part. All I can say was it was so surreal because you didn't have 20,000 people, but we made it work and props to all those fans who got the chance to come into the building. All right, Chris, it's time. This is one of our favorite segments of the show. What are you downloading? Time to open up the, uh, the laptop, the iPad, let us in on what you're doing. Uh, what are you downloading or streaming? Okay, before the pandemic, I swear to God, I rarely watched television. I, I had never been the person that binge watched 
that was just, I just, I was too busy. As you mentioned, all these different jobs, and all the different things. I'm just the kind of high energy person and I don't sit around. It's even hard for me to sit down and watch a game unless I'm covering it, right? So I mean, on television. So what I've been, what I've downloaded in between my family binge watching or whatever, I actually downloaded and watched that Nick, uh, Zack Snyder, Justice League, the four hour Batman, Superman trilogy. That was amazing. But I also, two nights ago, watched the Tina Turner documentary on HBO Max. Oh, yeah. You've got to see this. Her life story is absolutely amazing. I was fortunate enough back at the peak of her career in the late 80s to interview, interview her in Atlanta for a TV show I was doing. And she was just the most wonderful person. And to see her whole story and what she went through and why she's an icon to this day is absolutely amazing. And guess what, Sully and Monica? You know all the songs. That that is for sure. That's a great recommendation. We'll mark that one down. Marcus, what's your uh, what's your download this week? While we're on the HBO Max train, I watched uh, the day sports stood still. It's uh, a COVID a COVID documentary came out about three weeks ago. Executive produced by Chris Paul. Um, it gives a pretty good insight of everything that was happening at the NBA bubble. Um, some player footage that we've never seen before. I, I definitely recommend this one. It's it's a good insight for for all the sports fans. Marking that one down too. Mine mine is is the sixty minutes segment from last Sunday with Dave Kindred, longtime columnist with the Washington Post, Atlanta JC, and Sporting News, about how he began covering uh, high school girls basketball in Central Illinois after his retirement in 2010 and how it changed his life. This is not to be missed. It's called Kindred in the Bleachers. You can find it at uh, Paramount Plus, or I believe at the cbsnews.com site. Really worth uh, uh, eight or nine minutes uh, to invest uh, time in that. Uh, Chris, we didn't even get a chance to congratulate you on your induction into the Texas Radio Hall of Fame. What a great honor. Don't look now, but uh, pretty soon you're going to be 50 years on the air. So congratulations on a, on a spectacular career. Uh, Next time we have you back, we're going to talk about the night when you were emceeing the K-104 fan dunk contest at halftime of a Mavericks game. And a youngster, uh, a junior college player that uh -huh. nobody ever heard of named Sean Kemp showed up. We're going to tell that story on, on a future edition of the Mic Drop. Uh, so thank you for, uh, uh, for being with us. On behalf of Monica Paul and the Dallas Sports Commission, thanks to Chris, to George Killebrew and Vern Lundquist for joining us, and to the Mike crew mic drop production team chris amelia marcus carr and of course our visionary showrunner and one of the best if not the best mavericks interns ever tony fay until next time thanks for listening <laughs>